All right, go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be there in a minute. Uh, we are on a lifelong journey as surrendered Christ followers. And, and this journey isn't about just trying to get into heaven. Like, like I hope if, if anything else is, is clear, we want you all to be into heaven. But that's not what it's all about. All right, this life is about this journey, and it, 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 it's, it's about my life reflecting Jesus in everything that I do. That, that's what the journey is about. So it doesn't matter where you are. We've got middle schoolers in here. We, we've, got, we've got high schoolers in here. We've got college-age students in here, career people, retired people. We've got people from all walks of life. It doesn't matter where you are, what you do. What matters is how and why you do the things that you do. And the journey is about reflecting Jesus. It's about us becoming like him. In my marriage, I'm becoming like Jesus. In my place of employment, am I becoming like Jesus? At my kids' rec league ball game, where religion goes to die, am I becoming like Jesus? Turning on to the belt line? <laughs> All right. Hanging out with friends, Friday night, Saturday night, you name it, whatever. All of these are part of the journey, and my life is to reflect Jesus. I'm to become like him. I shared this with our leadership team yesterday, uh, a quick thought from John chapter 10. It's not going to come up on the screen. Uh, John, I mean, John, Jesus, John is recording Jesus' talk, and he, he's kind of one of those, man, he's just laying it out to the Pharisees, right? And you can just tell, man, they're, they're getting cranked up. They're like, this guy is getting underneath uh, their skin, and they're tired of it. They want to do something, and Jesus is just giving it to them straight. He's talking about them. And then in his teaching, it shifts a little bit, and he says this in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, newsflash, Jesus lays it out right here if you have any misconceptions about what the devil's about, right? He's here for these three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I'm going to tell you right now, and this is part of the question, leadership team, uh, he, he will use apathy and your levels of comfort to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to steal you away from a relationship with Jesus. He wants to kill all hope that you have in Christ, and he wants to destroy your life by thinking you chasing the things of this world is what's going to lead to satisfaction in your life. And Jesus says right after that, I've actually come so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. He wants you, Jesus wants you to experience a rich and satisfying life, not when we get to the pearly gates, but right now, today. That's what this lifelong journey is about. Having life to the fullest. And that is us becoming like Jesus. And so Peter writes to Christians everywhere. We've been in this a lot. Hopefully this is becoming very familiar to you. 2 Peter chapter 1, 
Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So three weeks ago, we talked about the faith piece to this equation, and that's what it is. It's funny that today, as we were sitting around, Perry went and got some donuts. Uh, Perry was sitting around, and we were, they were kind of talking. They were talking math stuff, right? Like acute angles and right angles, and you know, just things that had numbers and letters mixed together. And you know, whoever came up with all that kind of stuff. I know James. I know Blue. You guys like live in that world and it's like oh look you know it all makes sense and the rest of us are over here like why the confusion right peter's giving us an equation he goes christians you have faith now this is my kind of equation because it's pretty much all addition <clears throat> and you don't have to figure it out right it's one thing plus one thing plus one thing and when you get to the end of it it equals something and he even gives you the answer it's like that app that we have now. That like, if you don't know about this, like, there's this, this photo math app that you can just take a picture of a problem and it shows you how to work it out and give you the answer. It's the coolest thing. Where was that in 1992? You know, I mean, come on. That would, have, that would have saved a lot of heartache in the Sykes household um, had that app been available back then. But Peter's like, here it is. Here's the equation. It starts with faith and it ends with you not being ineffective, you not being unfruitful. And so he builds on faith with virtue. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We talked about virtue and the moral excellence of doing the right thing all the time. Not picking and choosing, not doing it when it's comfortable, but doing the right thing all the time. And then we add to the virtue, we now add knowledge. That's the next part of the equation. And so we're going to take virtue and we're going to add knowledge to it. And here's the thing about knowledge. Knowledge is information. And that's what he's saying. We're to add to virtue more information. But the question is, what information are we supposed to add to virtue? I mean, there's a lot of information out there. Knowledge is just, at, at, at its core, knowledge is information. And so I got to thinking about this question in my own life. You know, you know what, what information are we to add to virtue? And so I started thinking about some of the random things that I know. All right? I, and these are just, these are, this is just, it's useless knowledge. And I, truthfully, I don't know when or if I'll ever use it in any setting whatsoever. For example, <clears throat> a group of hippos is called a bloat. Learned that on safari several years ago. It's the coolest thing ever. It's a big bunch of lumps out in the lake or in the pond. And the guy goes, that's a bloat. I'm like, well, that's a bunch of hippos. And he says, exactly. It's a bloat. Now you know. I know that the word Alaska is the only state name to be on the home keys of a standard keyboard. I, I, I thank you to my ninth grade typing class teacher. I don't even remember her name, but I remember that. 
Uh, how about this? When chickens are hatched, they are not scared of anything. No. You can sit down and chickens will just, they'll come running up to you until they eat. When they eat something or drink something, they then become chickens. Right? I mean, I know they're chickens, but they become scared. Chickens. I grew up on a chicken farm. That used to be the coolest thing. When we were getting baby chicks delivered, we would have friends come over. It's like, hey, y'all come over and watch one of the coolest things. I mean, yeah, guys, this is Jackson County, Georgia. Like, I mean, this is hold up. Like, this is what kind of stuff we did, you know, back in the day. Hey, y'all come over. And we would just, you, you had stacks of these crates of chickens by the thousands, and they would just throw them out, and you could just sit down, and they would just talk to you. And if we had, you know, camera phones back then, we would have documented everything. But, hey, we didn't. How about this? The dragonfly. Don't ask me how I know this. The dragonfly has six legs but cannot walk. I don't even know where I learned that. I just know that it's got six legs and it can't walk. And here's the sad thing about this moment right now. Some of y'all are fact-checking me on, on some of these things. Here's, here's the thing what I just shared with you. What I just shared with you is probably what you're going to remember from today's sermon. Because the average church attender only retains 7% of the information they hear at church on any given Sunday. Speaking of useless information, there's some more. You're only going to get 7%. So I just should just stop right now and just let's go eat lunch together. We'll pray and move on. Peter says, add to your virtue knowledge. And here's the thing, you know this, the only knowledge that matters is that which helps us to become better Christ followers. There's nothing wrong with learning things. Okay, There's nothing wrong with learning new skills at work, new information at work. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Knowledge is power in this secular job force. We all know it. Some of us try to live in the ignorance is bliss world, right? Like, I don't want knowledge because I don't want power or responsibility or anything that comes with it. But we all know that knowledge, man, it, it gets you places. In the secular world, there's nothing wrong with learning things that better your life. But at the end of the day, what matters is the information that's going to help me to become a better Christ follower. That's the only information that truly benefits me. Worldly knowledge may give me a better job and it may be able to support my family better or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the run, what matters most is the knowledge that helps me to become a better Christ follower. So we need to do a better job at desiring the knowledge that leads to abundant life, as Jesus says. You said it again. This is us. This is me. Michael needs to do a better job. You need to do a better job at desiring the knowledge that leads to an abundant life. So I want to share a story with you from 2 Chronicles chapter 1 of a person, a pretty influential person, who desired knowledge. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. 2 Chronicles, it may come up there. Chapter 1, verses 7 through 13. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O oh Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. 
For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For, you, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for, long, for a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king, Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon is about 20 years old when he takes over for his dad. Right. Just a little side note, next year we're going to probably spend about three months just looking at King David and the life and his family and all the drama that's there. <clears throat> God speaks to Solomon in the night. I believe it's a little bit of a test as he's taken over for his dad, right? And he says to him, ask me of anything to give to you. Now, who, who among us wouldn't like that? Right? Like, we... We dream that something like that would happen. But, but who among us wouldn't like to hear the voice of God saying to us, ask me, ask me. And Solomon, in his youthful humility, passes the test, and he asks for wisdom and knowledge so that he can do an honorable job of leading God's people. And boy, did God bless him. When God answers prayers, he answers prayers. It's not coming up on the screen, but 1 Kings chapter 4 records it. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. I mean, God's like, hey, you can have whatever you want. And he's like, okay. I recognize right now through humility where I am, and I'm not, I'm not qualified to lead your people because they are so great. So instead of asking for reinforcements, instead of asking for a bigger house to live in, instead of asking for who knows what, he asked for wisdom and knowledge, and God gives it to him. And on top of that, God goes ahead and says, you know what, because you didn't ask for those things, I'm going to go ahead and give you wealth. I'm going to go ahead and give you possessions like you've never seen before, and I'm going to go ahead and give you honor amongst your peers. And no king prior to you or after you is going to have what you have. And so I'll go ahead right now, church, and tell you here's the first lesson for the day as it pertains to knowledge. What are you asking God for? I mean, he tells us all throughout the New Testament, Come to him and ask away. But what are you coming to God and asking for? Huh? You asking probably winning the lottery more than knowledge? Huh? Anybody ever pray for the lottery to be won? How many times are you praying for knowledge? Oh, what about sitting at the suite? You know, when your football team in orange is playing some other football team in crimson. 
You know, you ever say any prayers? Come on, God, if they can just miss this kick. Come on, God, if they can just miss this kick. Probably happened, I do believe, by more than one person. One more bill. <laughs> we appreciate the kind words and everything this morning. <laughs> are we praying for those types of things, worldly things that at the end of the day they don't really matter? Are we praying, God, how about give me some knowledge? As I walk through this life trying to become like you. Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge and he got all the other stuff too. Telling you, not that I'm promising that you'll get those things, but when we come before the Lord with pure intentions and pure heart and we ask for the things that benefit our spiritual walk that will help us to live in a relationship with other people, God's going to bless us and give us the things that we need. Shows us that through the life of Solomon. And Solomon says, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. Now let me just you know, tell you what these are real quick, just from a biblical perspective. Knowledge, we've already talked about it, it's information. It's gaining information, that's it. Wisdom is having an understanding based on experience. Knowledge comes into play here. I read this somewhere, forgot where I read it from, so I don't know who to give credit to. But you can have knowledge without wisdom. But you can't have wisdom without knowledge. Knowledge is the information you have learned, while wisdom is the ability to use that knowledge in a profound way. So knowledge is a, is a part and wisdom is the whole. Wisdom goes beyond learning facts and includes making sense of those facts. We are to add to our faith knowledge. So how do I do this? How do, I, how do I add knowledge? I've got in here twice in this section not to get on the soapbox. So forgive me if I do. But do I really have to answer that? I mean, how do we gain knowledge from God? Do, do I really have to answer that? You already know how to gain knowledge of something. You know how to gain knowledge of God. The truth of the matter is, the truth of it is, we just don't want to do it. We don't want to take the time to do it. And I, I get this all the time. I'm telling you, this one frustrates me probably more than you think. My memory is so bad, I just can't remember anything. And, and, and here's the thing, I hear you. I, I'm 48 years old. Something is happening, you know, like just my family knows this. Some people around here know this. I had to go by readers this week. Because I'm, you notice I'm standing further away from my iPad. I increased the font on my iPad this Sunday by two sizes, and I'm standing further back just so I can read it. I don't know what's happening. All right? But my eyes within the last two weeks have just gotten terribly bad. Well, you know what else? I get the whole memory thing. My kids have been telling me for years that my memory's not as great as this. They're wrong, you know, but that's that's but it's happening. I understand. This, this baseline argument of, man, it's tough to remember things. But I will tell you this, church, you are capable of gaining and retaining the knowledge that comes from God. That's the truth. You are capable of this. And God's going to help you. He has given you His Holy Spirit to help you. And you just don't know, Michael, I just, man, I can't memorize the Bible. Okay, we memorize stuff all the time. All right. The, the key to memorizing and learning is it's repetition. And you know that. 
doing something over and over and over again. And now that you're a little bit older, guess what? You've probably got to do it a little bit over and over a few more times. I remember the first time five years ago that I went to our camp over in Baldwin, Mississippi. Didn't know where Baldwin was. I was Googling Baldwin. Didn't even know that they spelled it with a, a Y, not an I. All right? I had to put it in the GPS once I finally figured out where we're going. So five years ago, we set out for our first trip over there. GPS is right there leading the way. Had to use the GPS to come back. Two weeks later, had to use the GPS to get over there. Had to use the GPS to come back. Now, five years later, I know off the top of my head three different routes that we can get in the car right now and drive, and we don't even have to look at our phones. It's the fact that I've made the trip over and over and over again. I know now how to do this. I remember the different ways. I can tell you the, the best restaurants to stop at. That's why there's three different routes, because we've got three different restaurants that we want to eat at sometimes. We can still remember things, people. We remember the order of TV channels in a matter of hours. We change service. We get it figured out. We, we, we remember where, all right, we remember where those TV channels are. Oh, TV shows, speaking of TV, you know when your TV show comes out. I know nowadays everybody's Netflix and if we're watching it two days later or whatever the case may be. But, but you could remember, you could remember when and what channel your favorite TV program comes on without a doubt. We remember grandkids' birthdays. My parents struggle to remember mine. They know all of their kids' birthdays, or all, all, of, all of their uh, grandkids' birthdays. Y'all remember Paul Burns? I was here a couple weeks ago. His boss, Dave Campbell, they have 30 grandchildren. Third, one of the most impressive things I have ever witnessed in my life was just a couple of weeks ago, after Paul was here, I went to a DS1 training in Knoxville, Tennessee. Dave and his wife, Janelle, were there. Janelle rattled off. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't even know if it was full 30. But she started rattling off their ages in order with the birthday when they were born. Yeah. Yeah, we can't remember, you know, scripture. You know, I'm not trying to go soapbox and everything. The deal is, we are capable of gaining knowledge from God, but we have to make it a problem. I promise you, right now, in this life of, of Dave and Janelle, they have nine or eleven kids. She rattled those off, those birthdays off too, just so you know. That family is a priority to them. And celebrating life is a priority to them. And so it's no problem for them to remember these dates. We have to make it a priority. It's just that simple. So how do we gain biblical knowledge? Proverbs 1.7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear in this verse is not the terrifying, it's not the cowering fear, but it's a, it's a deep respect and admiration of. And the wisest man beside Jesus to walk earth, Solomon, tells us that it is this deep respect for God 
This is where our desire for knowledge comes from. It's the beginning of knowledge. And so this respect for God should be our motivation. <laughs> Yesterday, our leadership team, I was actually going to tell a story about my life, and I figured hey, I could tell a story about somebody else's life. It's better. Yesterday, our leadership team met. We met Friday night and Saturday talking about next year. <clears throat> I make up those stories. And Jackie Hall is a, uh, we got some dog lovers on our leadership team. <laughs> Jackie Hall is not one of them. <laughs> but her mom has a dog. And uh, she was sharing this story about um, that when something happens to mom, that Jackie is going to get Marshall the dog. And Marshall's a cute dog, and at least from the picture. Looks, look, looks, looks like it'd be a fun dog to have, and I'm sure it'd just be an added blessing to Jeff and Jackie's household and everything. Right? And, and Jackie's like, oh, great, you know, why me? I mean, you got this person, you know, three siblings over here, they got dogs, these, siblings, these people, they're all closer, why me? Right? And, 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 and Jeff kind of, you know, called Jackie out on some things, hey, it's your mom. And out of respect for mom, you know what Jackie's gonna do when the time comes? She's going to take that dog <clears throat> because of the respect and there's motivation that drives that love. That's how we are to be with God. We, we, we are to have such respect for God that we crave and desire knowledge. 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people... <clears throat> And imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly, firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Church, you know what happens when God breathes into something? It only happens a few times in Scripture. But you want to know what happens every single time God breathes into something? Life is given. Everything God breathes into, it gives life. And so he is breathed into this word. That's why Hebrews tells us that it is alive and it is active. And man, when you embrace it and when you read it and when you gain knowledge, it, it, it's going to do some things in your life. He says it right here. It's going to teach you. All right. I, I'm telling you right now, I'm a student and I'm in a season of life where I'm craving more knowledge. I, I study more than I ever have. I wish in high school I had the desire to study that I do right now. And God's Word will teach you. It'll teach you how to parent. It'll teach you how to deal with, with your co-workers. It'll teach you how to love your wife, how to love your husband. It's going to teach you how to deal with all the things that you are struggling with. It will rebuke you for sure. And that, that's, 
that southern church language where it's going to step on your toes. It's going to convict you of wrong behavior. It'll correct behavior. It'll correct us when we get off track, and it will train us. And don't miss verse 17, which gets left off of this a lot. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Philippians 1.6 also talks about this completion that is supposed to happen in our lives. The Word of God that has been breathed out for you is there for you to teach you, to correct you, to encourage you, to train you so that you may be complete. And yet 90-something percent of Christians are going to sit in churches today they're going to hear their minister preach they're going to walk out the doors and go about their week and they're not going to tune back into God until the next time they walk in. God's like I'm giving this to you. Church, why are we not doing everything? Why are we, as Peter says, making every effort in our power to gain knowledge that comes from the Lord? Why are we, why are we giving our time to, to false idols and things that don't matter? So our scripture reading this morning answers the question for you, how do I gain biblical knowledge? This is the Shema. It's part of an Old Testament writing that was very sacred. You're probably familiar. You're probably familiar with part of it, as Jesus certainly talked about it. It's part of the great two commandments. It's Deuteronomy chapter six. He, he tells you directly what you need to do. If, if you want to know how to gain knowledge, here it is. Moses writes it for you. Listen, O Israel, listen, O Lifebridge, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You want to gain knowledge? They didn't have Old Testament and New Testament when this was written. They had some commands that God spoke to Moses and he gave to the people. This Let this judge and rule your life. It was a lot simpler back then. Here's what he says in this text, if you're questioning. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Yeah, uh, that, that steps on the toes of people who are going to go out here and not tune back into God until the next time they come to church. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Repeat them again and again. And he brings up children. You should be having these conversations with your children. Children moved out. Children don't want to listen to you. Have them with your spouse. If they don't want to, have them with the mirror. Do something, but repeat them again and again. 
to anyone who will listen. Talk about them when you are at home. Talk about them when you when you travel. Yes, gonna keep me from playing the license plate game. That's like our tradition when we get in the car and travel. Let's go to the license plate game. And then display them visually so that you see me. I'm telling you, do this and see what happens. Because here's what God promises about his word. We're almost done. Here's what happens. Because God promises us something when we do this. It's found over in the book of Isaiah, the 55th chapter. He's talking about his word that comes from his mouth. Because my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. But it will accomplish that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You are the thing in which he sent his word. The purpose is not just so that you are the smartest person when it comes to Bible knowledge. The purpose is transformation. God knows that his word will transform your life. The application of knowledge is what leads to transformation. It's the only real reason that we should want to learn. It's the only real reason that we should want to gain knowledge is so that it can then be applied to my life and I can live out a life that reflects Jesus all the more. I'm an 80s kid, right? Uh, I played with G.I. Joe, but it was like the real G.I. Joe stuff. And I watched the cartoons, like that was my thing. G.I. Joe was, I don't remember too many other cartoons, but I can tell you a whole lot about G.I. Joe. And, and on the little cartoons, right, they would play, like you had the cartoon that told a little story of, of, of G.I. Joe versus Cobra and the bad guys and all those kind of people. But at the end of it, man, they would they would play like a little public service announcement. If you want a good laugh, you can YouTube it, and and like there's 13 minutes of nothing but these little public service announcements, and it's like one is this kid's like drifted away, he's gotten caught in a current on the ocean, and he's drifted away, and he's starting to drown, and of course out of nowhere, one of the GI Joe guys that I don't remember his name, he pops up in his little scuba gear and says, "Don't panic." But I'm drowning. Well, no, you're, you're talking. Uh, you're not drowning. He goes, and he tells them how to like tread water right there. He goes, oh, now I know. And they always closed it out with, and knowing is half the battle. That other half of the battle is the application. It's the living it out. It, it, it's living out what we know to be God-honoring and true. And the sole purpose of gaining knowledge from God is for the transformation that can take place in your lives. And how about this? Not just in your lives, it can be passed down to generation to generation. It is living out the truths that come with the understanding of that knowledge. And praise the Lord 
Alright, praise, praise the Lord. There's not going to be an entrance exam, you know, when we get to heaven. Alright, we're, we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be required to take a quiz, you know, on the order of the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. None of that stuff. Alright, praise the Lord. That, that's not part of us getting into heaven. The knowledge is important for the application and the transformation that then follows. And for you knowledge junkies, you people who know more facts about the, the Bible than, than Paul, you need to hear something here, okay? All that knowledge means nothing. All the knowledge of God and the Holy Scriptures mean absolutely nothing if you do not have unconditional love. Nothing. You, 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 can, you can write out the entire Bible from memory, but if you don't love the person that's going to wait on you at lunch today, if you don't love the person that's going to cut you off in traffic, if you don't love whoever, whatever this week, all of that knowledge means nothing. Paul told the church of Corinth, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am So how do we how do we respond to that? How, how, how do we walk out of here, man? Michael, you just told me that all this I need all this knowledge. I need this knowledge, and it's important. And Peter tells me that, and then you get to the end of it, and you bust that bubble and say, "All the knowledge in the world means absolutely nothing if I don't have love." Well, that's actually where we start. We start where we started four weeks ago. We're living out the very simple, basic truths that we already know. It's not a shock to anybody in here that we're to go and love our neighbor as ourselves. Or, as Christ followers, we are to love each other as he loves us. And that is how the world's going to know that we're disciples. That's not a shock to anybody. Now we just got to do it. And so there's three ways to respond this morning. I want to challenge you with this. The, the first way is this, to make a wholehearted Commitment to the commands of Scripture. It's in the Shema. It's what Moses wrote straight from the Lord to His people. Make a wholehearted commitment. That, that, that's that's how I want you. As we get our communion packets out, just like I, I want you to make that commitment. I want to challenge you to make that commitment. And I, then I'm going to do what He tells it me to when it comes to His Word. That's one way to respond. The second way to respond is that we want to bring to the Lord. We, we, want, we want to trust what God has said, and, and we want to bring to the Lord an offering of trust. We don't talk about money a lot around here. I was reminded of that yesterday. <clears throat> Giving is a 
critical part of your faith journey. And so there's a couple of ways to give. Information is going to come up on the screen in a few minutes. You can give through our app. You, you can give in the little black box on your way out the door. But that is not some obligation just to keep the lights on. It's an act of worship. And so this morning, we want to challenge you to bring. And then a third way, in just a minute, as we close out this service, I know you've all got lunch on, your, on the brain, is to sing these last two songs. To the Father in heaven, who looked at you, and said, I love you so much that I'm sending my son to be a sacrifice for your sins. So that's how we respond today. If you have your communion ready, let's take this together as a, as a family. Jesus took the, the bread and he broke it and he passed it out. He said, take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine. This is my blood that has been spilled for you. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. May it spur us on right now to be committed, a wholehearted commitment to, to your word and and gaining knowledge in my life. Thank you, God.